But there's something that God's doing in South Africa. And uh, we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear. We need to really have our hearts open um, to receive. And uh, the last couple of weeks have been quite, quite wild and intense in terms of just talking to a lot of people and realizing uh, the busyness of life uh, has got quite loud. And uh, I feel like I've said that multiple times this year, and I have, but it's almost like it's, it's just slowly just getting more and more intense and louder and louder and louder. And so I have a, a, an encouragement. I have three things going on in my heart right now, and we'll just trust the Lord which way it goes. But um, I have a word that I really hope encourages us, but, uh, but also challenges us. Um, you know, leading um, communities and, and church, leading a church or the church uh, in, in any expression in these times is, is different. Um, because what happened in, in 2020, 2021, changed things. And uh, we, are, we aren't going back. There, there is no, there's nothing to go back to, actually. God's, God did something in that season, and it's amazing. And now there's been a shift, and we've entered into a whole new time on the earth. And so the church is going to look different, but not just in the methods. It's, it has to look different from a posture point of view, um, where the Lord's inviting us as the people of God to be postured for what He wants to pour out now. We're not crying out for the same revivals we've seen, because uh, He's not going to do that. He, he's not going to do what he did in the past. He, those, that was for that time. But what he's going to pour out that's coming and, and what's on us now and, and what he will increase is for this time. And our hearts need to be positioned for that. We need to be ready to obey him, to step out and do what he's called us to do, but also to learn how to host his presence corporately uh, as families. And, um, and so I know that the loudness and the busyness of life is coming against one thing the church. And you say, oh, here we go again. Why is it always, you have to talk about the church? Well, because it's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, it's what's on his heart. It's what he's coming for. There's an unveiling that's coming. And the unveiling, I mean, we're doing the book of Revelation and uh, the coming weeks, you need to really make sure you're on these Zooms because we're about to uncover something that will honestly shift your whole perspective of what God's actually going to do. Because we've had a really unhealthy, weird eschatology uh, around these things. And, and I believe the greatest ploy of the enemy was to tell the church that all these things are still to come, so just keep waiting. And so what you've had is generation after generation that are waiting for some sort of thing that they read in this book to happen as an event. And, and sometimes what you don't realize is you might just be right in the middle of it. <laughs> and so what we need is not a generation that's looking for events. We need a generation that are fixed on Jesus their eyes are fixed on Jesus because that's what the whole point of Revelation is about. It's about a people who can recognize Jesus in the midst of chaos. And it's that very thing that prepares them to shine. And so uh, I'll throw out just some teasers to excite you if you haven't joined uh, any of our, our Zoom sessions or in the home groups. Um, just little things like this, like the book of Revelation is actually not about the Antichrist. In fact, the Antichrist doesn't exist in the Bible. It's not there. You won't find it. You can go study the Greek, study the Aramaic, study the Hebrew, study the whatever you want to study. It's not there. The Bible talks about Antichrist ages, Antichrist spirits uh, that will happen throughout the earth, but there's no mention of a singular one, the Antichrist. It's not there. You won't find it. Just like the term second coming isn't there. <clears throat> but it does talk about the day of the Lord. It does talk about the return of Jesus. And so it's making sure that we are... are 
perspective on that great and amazing day when Jesus does return, that our perspective is not based on other people's interpretations, but it's based on the Word of God. And so I, the book of Revelation changed in my heart when I, when I said to myself, read it as it's written. Because then when you do that, you suddenly realize it can't, there's certain things that just can't be the way we've been told. It's like there's no ways that there are actual um, locusts <laughs> coming out of, a, of, of, a, of smoke that have scorpion tails, a human face, and look like horses or chariots. <laughs> like that is the scariest horror movie you've ever seen. There's no way, right? Right, and people have... have studied and, and read this book and they've made it so literal and I believe it's, there, there are aspects that are literal, don't get me wrong, but I believe that Jesus is actually speaking the language of the Spirit to us and to John and, and he, he wants us to get into that book and discover his heart and, uh, and so he, there is an unveiling of the revelation of Jesus but it's also an unveiling of the bride that he's prepared for his glory that will be with him for all of eternity. Does that make sense? And so what's, what's profound and, and beautiful is that if you read that book with the right lenses, what happens is you fall more in love with Jesus and your heart is prepared to follow Him no matter what. And so that's what we want to see in the church. But um, yeah, you really want to be a part of those. <clears throat> so life got loud. Things have been busy. There's a lot of distractions. Um, and, and not just in business and in those things, but even just in the church. Um, there's so many voices and opinions and stress and strain and this and that and, and lots is happening. And so today I want to punch it right between the eyes. Is that okay? Um, and I think we've got we to gotta rise up as the people of God and stand firm in who we are in Him and make sure, make very sure that our hearts are postured in Him so that we're not tossed to and fro because that's not, that's not who we are. We're not actually designed as the people of God to be following every new thing that the world's throwing at us, but actually we're the ones who are called to arise and shine in the midst of deep darkness. Um, and so the people of God, we're the ones who carry the kingdom of heaven. We're the ones who carry uh, the, the government of the kingdom. And so it's our responsibility and it's our great joy and great privilege to carry the treasure of His presence. Um, and we need to learn how to do that in our lives. Um, and I've said this many times before, and I'm realizing, um, you know, the church doesn't need good sermons. It needs gospel preaching. Uh, and we've got to keep preaching the gospel and not deviate from that and preach it in purity and clarity. Even if you've heard it a million times, your heart needs to hear it again. Because the, re the reality is the moment we move from the purity of the gospel, watch the fruit of people's lives. And the Lord's been teaching me this even just as I'm learning how to lead a beautiful community and how to lead a church in the context of team. Uh, it's amazing to go, Lord, actually, it's quite simple. Uh, you know, I'm realizing this is my job. My job is to teach and equip the church in the revelation of Jesus. That's it. And if you have that one thing, you're equipped. And this is what's beautiful. Ephesians 4 speaks about this, that there's the gifts, the fivefold gifts, and, uh, and they're there to, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and we stop there. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there, though. It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build the body up, in the building up of the body, right? So the point of the fivefold gifts is not to equip people in the gifts, the point of the fivefold gifts is to equip people in the revelation and knowledge of Jesus so that they can do what? Operate in the ministry of Jesus through your life. And so what's coming over the church, and you'll see this in the coming weeks with the book of Revelation, another teaser, I'm not convinced that there's such a thing as an actual millennium, thousand years of, I'll stop there, join and see what I'm saying. 
but a th the, the number 1,000 actually represents maturity. And so I believe that we are right now walking in a time ruling and reigning with Christ on the earth where he is maturing a bride into the fullness of the measure of his stature, right? Into maturity. And when we begin to do that, what you'll see is the government of God expressed through the church on the earth. Now, maybe you're sitting here like, whoa, dude, you're, just, you're going super deep here. I'm a little confused. What's going on? Let this thing offend your mind, but let it settle on your spirit. Like, I'm okay with offending your mind. In fact, last night um, while I was preparing, I just, I thought the Lord deliver me of some stuff. Um, and you go, oh, the pastor gets deliverance? Yep. Um, <clears throat> every night. <laughs> but the reality is the Lord just touched me and I was sitting in Galatians again and where Paul says, am I still trying to please men? He says, if I was trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And so what we need in this hour is not, you don't need a leader who pleases you. You need, you need uh, shepherds and leaders and teachers and, 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 and people in the community that are going to preach the gospel uh, without restraint. That, you know, I, I have to make one commitment in my heart and go, at the risk of offending people, true love is to make sure that the gospel is preached in love so to liberate their hearts to walk in what God has for you. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm... A lot of people, I've had conversations the last couple of weeks, and it's getting a little wild, a little hectic, and people are, are all over the place, emotionally, uh, spiritually. And it's like up and down, one week you're on fire for Jesus, and next week you're depressed and don't know if he's real. <laughs> or one week you're operating in the prophetic, and you're seeing pictures and so excited, and the next week you're, you know, oppressed by demonic torment and being attacked in the night. You know how many people are going through stuff like that? And I just go, that, that's unacceptable. Not on, on us, but it's unacceptable that the enemy thinks they can do that. And the only reason why is because the church is not operating in who she's called to be. She doesn't realize what she has. The only authority the enemy has is what you give it. I'm serious. The, the, the devil has been bound. He has. It happened at the cross. The cross wasn't like an introduction to it. It was the finished work. So the enemy only has the authority that you give him. And so when you don't give him authority, you get to stand on his head for a living. Every day. You get to wake up and crush hell. That's what we do. Not by trying to, just because it's who we are. Everything is under Christ's feet. Well, guess who his body is? Are you with me? Yeah. What we need is Christians that work into the work, walk into the workplace and, uh, and are not intimidated by life. They're not intimidated by situation and circumstance. They're actually ruling and reigning in Jesus and standing firm on the finished work, which means I can't be swayed. See, what's coming, I'm, I'm telling you, um, should I go down that road? Um, see, I used to uh, understand this message of kings and priests. So I studied it. It's kingdom of priests. And the, the reason why I'm touching this is because when we taught a message of kings and priests, we separated priesthood and people who are called to be kings or to be in the business sphere. It's not in the Bible, it's a kingdom of priests. So if you're in a business sphere, you're called to be a priest there. You're called to carry that priesthood of my life, the direction and purpose of my life is to minister to him. All the business guys are looking at me with intense eyes. Study it. I promise you. And, and let me just say this to you. You want this. Because this sets you free from your identity being connected to what you do. That's not just for business guys. That's for everybody. 
the biggest struggle with the church today is how quickly we tie our, our identity to what we do. <clears throat> and then that's why we come under law every time, because now we're measured by whether we think we're successful or not. So if your business is doing well, or your finances are doing well, or your relationships are doing well, or your family is doing well, or your school marks are good, or your university marks are good, you're good. When it's not, you're bad. Now you measure the health of your soul based on the results of your life, when the reality is Jesus paid a price so that he would become the standard of your life every day. And it's that people that are free. It's that group of people that can walk in power and in authority because it's not based on our own works, it's based on him. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So, let's start. I better take my phone out so I can see the time. Let's start in Matthew 16. From verse 13. Is everyone good? <clears throat> Wonderful. Lord, we love your word, and we thank you as we read the scriptures, Lord, that you would breathe Holy Spirit on our hearts to receive your word with joy and to be changed and transformed. Oh, Lord, I love your presence, and I love you. I love your kingdom. I love your church. Uh, I'm so grateful we get to do this. We get to do this. Come on. Okay. So this is wild. Uh, you probably know this passage of scripture, but I just want to highlight a few things. Uh, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says this, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Pause for a second. <clears throat> Caesarea was this very interesting place. And I, I think it's important for us to understand that there's something significant about, about why Jesus decided to go there with his disciples and then do this. See how we got to ask questions in the Bible. It's like Caesarea Philippi. Why did that? Just, why, why there? That's a random place to just go. It's right up the north on the coast of Israel, and uh, and it was a very interesting little city. Uh, but he, Jesus chose to go there with his disciples and then ask this question. Now, if you study Caesarea Philippi, there was two things that were happening in that city. One, intense witchcraft. So the the. I think it's the Pan Pan God or something like that. The Pan, right? Yeah, Pan worshippers is a a cult kind of set up with really demonic, evil sacrifices, uh, the deepest, darkest, most horrific witchcrafty stuff you can imagine. I won't go into the details of what they did, but there's a lot of ugly, yucky sacrifices and things that were going on. So much so that there was an actual location just outside of the city where they would do this that they would call the gates of Hades because they, literally there were sacrifices entertaining the dead, which were just demons, all this kind of stuff going on. That would happen in the city. The second thing that would happen is that uh, if you know they were under the rule of Rome, and Rome had this kind of system that Caesar was God and that you actually worshipped him. How many of you know that? Uh, in fact, you, you would have heard me teach in the letters, the beginning of Revelation, that there were some places, some cities, where you couldn't go to the mall without offering a little sacrifice to Caesar at the door. You would actually pick up, I can't remember what it was, but you'd sprinkle the stuff in a bowl of water, and it was an act of uh, recognition that Caesar is Lord, and then you could come into the mall. So imagine that. Imagine living in a city where you can't go shopping unless you offer a sacrifice to a false god. Be a Christian in that. Intense. <clears throat> so this, this place, there, there's idol worship, there's witchcraft, there's the demonic, uh, and it was named Caesarea after Caesar. Get it? So worship, <laughs> you got it, bro? Awesome. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that one's profound. 
So named after Caesar, and, and there's witchcraft and evil stuff going on. And so Jesus walks into this city, gets his disciples together, and he says, Who do men say that I am? Interesting question. What's the news on the street? Who do they say I am? So they respond to him, and they say, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he says this to them, But who do you say that I am? Interesting question. And then Simon Peter answered, and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus answered him and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now we know when he says you are Peter, he's explaining what his name means. So Simon is like a, a reed blown to, tossed to and fro. Peter, rock. Okay, strong, solid, consistent, but little rock, okay? And he says, so he changes his name. He says, you're not going to be tossed to and fro anymore. You're going to actually be firm now. And then he says, and on, this on this revelation, on what you've received, I'm going to build my church on this rock. And he's talking about what Peter confessed, which is that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the living God. So Jesus makes a statement, I'm going to build my church on the revelation of who I am, and I'm going to take a people who are tossed to and fro, and I'm going to make them steadfast and strong. And so what we need today is not a Simon church, we need a Peter church. We don't need a church tossed to and fro, we need a church that's firmly planted in the revelation of Jesus, that are standing on the rock. And then he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, that's a bold statement to make because he's standing in the context of where it's real, physical, right in front of you. It's not just a spiritual statement of like, you know, hey, when the spiritual stuff goes on, the demonic stuff, that's not going to prevail. He's looking at the demonic and he's saying the gates of hell will not prevail against this. A people that are built on my name, a people that are built on the revelation of who I am. They're the ones who have access, listen to this, to the kingdom because he's given them the keys and it says, whatever you bind on earth, the correct translation if you study this is, whatever you bind on earth will is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. In other words, it's not me doing something that heaven's trying to catch up with. It's me releasing what heaven's already done. You see the difference? So now you see, when Jesus introduces this concept of his church, it's a very powerful picture. He's actually saying this is a group of people that in the midst of the most evil, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, demonic stuff going on, this group of people are going to stand firm on the revelation of Jesus, which if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, you know that that means you're, you're in Him. It's His righteousness, not your own. So you're free from yourself. So it's a church that's free from them, themselves, standing in His righteousness, that have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that will now begin to walk in authority, power, and dominion on the earth, and will begin to release the realities of heaven on the earth. 24-7. So that's got to be the lens through which we view church. Because that changes why we get together. It changes why I'm excited to be here on a Sunday. And it doesn't have to be a Sunday. It can be a Friday night in the prayer room, Friday morning, Thursday night at home group. I'm just excited to get together because when we do, we kick hell's butt. Are you with me? It's kind of like you got to get a little bit nasty. Because the church is very, very nice and very tame, and we just want to please everybody. But the reality is what God's calling us to do is get a little bit aggro. And it's okay. It's the right kind of aggro. It's a righteousness kind of aggro. Ro uh, Romans 6 actually calls my body a weapon of righteousness. 
Yeah. <laughs> She's getting it. <laughs> no, think about this. I've, my spirit man is one with God, and I am the righteousness of God through Christ. Okay? I am. And my soul is now learning to listen to my spirit man. So now my thoughts and my emotions and my will are coming into submission to the truth of who I am. And now my body becomes a weapon that I use to minister that thing. So now, whatever it is that you see is just there to show you what righteousness looks like. And this group of people coming together is called the church. And when they understand this and they walk in this authority, the darkness is terrified. One of my favorite quotes is actually from an anonymous martyr from the Middle East. And she said this. They, didn't, they don't give her name. But it was this lady who apparently said this, a nobody who just died for Jesus. And she said, Lord, throw me like a blazing torch into the night. Oh, I love that. I'm like, put that one on my tombstone. Everybody remember, okay? Not that I want a tombstone, but <clears throat> throw me like a blazing torch into the night. That's what, it, that, that's what the church is like. like Lord, we're going to see this in, in the book of Revelation, where there's a burning, blazing mountain that gets thrown into the sea of humanity. It's a picture of the church. He's like, the, a mountain represents kingdom. It's a kingdom on fire. It's the people of God. And Jesus throws this burning mountain into the sea, which represents humanity. We're a victorious, conquering. We're not arrogant. We're confident. This, it's a false sense of humility to think I can't actually step out and do anything with my faith because it might come across as arrogant. Come on, what's the point then? We have to be bold. We have to step out. We, but we have to step out in His righteousness, which means we stay abided. We stay abiding. We stay yielded to the vine. We're staying in the flow of Holy Spirit. And look at the testimonies. They just stepped out in obedience. And like Jen said, open your mouth and stuff just coming out. It's like, I didn't even have that. Where's that coming from? Because God, maybe God is actually more intensely in pursuit of people than we could ever be. And He's just looking for someone that will, will co-labor and partner with them, open their mouth, and be willing and available as a vessel to be used. See, the church is a supernatural thing. It is not natural. And the problem in the Western culture and environment is that we allowed the church to become institutional. And I'm just being transparent with you in many ways in the last couple of months. The pressure to succeed in church life I felt it as a leader. The pressure to succeed opens that little door for institutionalism to creep into your heart and make you feel like you, you need to run this thing well so that you can be successful. But I don't see it scripturally anywhere where Jesus is asking, his, asking the elders or the leaders of the church to run it well. It's not there. He has one command, and he, and he says it to the apostles. He's like, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything. Go and wait in a room until He comes. And then when He comes, just listen to Him. Walk in Him. He'll build the church. He'll lead the church. He's looking for leaders that will be yielded to His voice. And so when the Lord brings you back to this, suddenly you get free because you go, Oh yes, I'm not here to please man. I'm here to be obedient to Jesus. I'm not here to, to build a successful church. That's His job. My job is to be willing to shepherd and to love. My job is to be willing to teach and to equip. And so the reality is I can guarantee you you're going to be offended by me. I can guarantee you, and I love that. It's horrible for my heart, but it keeps me free from you and from me and keeps me yielded to Jesus. Because as a leader, you, you love people so much. I'm just bearing my heart with you guys. Is that okay? As a leader, you love people so much that you want them to like you. 
I'm journeying, the Lord's opening doors, I'm, I'm, I'm journeying and discipling a lot of young leaders at the moment, and so many of them are so lonely. They're so lonely that they, they don't have what they would call normal friends because they have a call and an assignment to lead. And you don't get to step in and out of that thing. You stand firm in that thing and you lead. And the reality is, the moment that you offend people, they withdraw and it's like, well, hold, I don't need that. But then you get free when you realize I'm a servant of Christ. I'm not a servant of man. And that starts with leadership in the church. But this is for your life. You're a servant of Christ. You're not a servant of man. So what does that look like when you walk into your work environment and you have a boss? Guess why you honor and why you work well? Not because you serve him, because you serve Christ. And he says, everything you do, do it unto the Lord. So now my, my, the culture of my life changes. I'm not here just to impress my boss. Because the problem is if I'm here to impress my boss, I might compromise the word of the Lord just to impress him. But the reality is when I'm not trying to impress my boss, but I'm living for the glory of the one, I trust him. My, my income, my salary is not my Lord. My job doesn't define me. I could lose it tomorrow and I'm okay. You know, the Lord told me, when Jess and I stepped into, a, as we've been on a journey of more visionary leadership in the church, the Lord said, hey, it's not yours. It's mine. And he said, love people with your whole life, but hold them loosely. Why? Because the reality is my identity is not tied to what I do. The measure of our lives is not based on how well you think you're doing in your situation. It's based on the fullness of Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, they would make sacrifices uh, and once a year, they'd make a sacrifice, cover their sin, and God was teaching man covenant. Okay? That's, what, that's why we have this. And then Jesus comes, and He becomes the perfect sacrifice once and for all. So we don't have to do that anymore. He did it once and for all. But the principle is still the same. What does God inspect? The sacrifice. He's not looking at your, your life. He's looking at Christ. And every time you think you've made a mistake, guess where He looks? He looks at Jesus and he says, you're holy, blameless, righteous. And you go, that's ridiculous. And I say, yes, it is. It's why your tiny little brain that is so small, it's a pip within a pip within a pip. <laughs> right? And that brain's going to figure out God? Come on. We need to let the word offend our minds so that our spirit can be released in freedom to walk in what God's called us to do. This little pip of a brain is actually there to facilitate the revelation of Jesus in my heart. It gives me the ability to express what's in me. We need more people doing that. Come on. Are you hearing me this morning? See, because something happens when you preach the gospel to yourself. What we have is a lot of us coming to a Sunday to hear the gospel, and that's the only time we hear it. And then in the week, we're just trying to get through the next week, and then I come to Sunday, oh, I love this message. It's so good. No, it's more than that. You've got to wake up tomorrow morning and preach this thing to your spirit, man. Suddenly something comes alive, and you're like, man, I love being alive. You know, in the last two weeks, there's been more demonic intimidation than in a long time. Oh, man, it tried to come on my body. It tried to come on my thoughts. There's been lots of stuff. People don't understand the journey. And maybe you've been through this stuff as well, but it comes. And the reality is all it's coming to do 
is to shake the foundation that you're standing on. Say, are you standing on Jesus or are you standing on your own efforts? Because if you're standing on your own works, you're going to start to measure yourself again. And then the demonic comes and has a field day in your mind. And then you live this Christian life like this. But when you stand in the grace of God, and maybe let me say it like this. You have been infused with righteousness. You haven't just been given it. It's not something external that you get to hold for a little while. It's become your very DNA. You know, it doesn't matter if I call myself Jeff. I'm Connor. <laughs> and I, I'm just letting you know, I don't, I don't wake up and try to be Connor. Are you, I'm, trying to be, I'm being so simple, but you get what I'm saying? I don't wake up and go like, okay, what, do, what would Connor do in this situation? No, I just get up and I live because I know who I am. I'm, I'm, right? And this is why what's coming against this generation and those that are to come is this attack on gender, on identity, all this kind of stuff. Why? Think about this. Why? Because you were designed in Christ to live in Him, to be secure in your identity, and to be an expression of his heart and nature on the earth. So if the devil can smash identity, if he can shake that, and it's why sexuality and identity, they're, they're connected. So if, if the devil can hit those things, he can shake the church, because the reality is the devil doesn't really care. Um, you know, he's not intentionally chasing unbelievers, just so you know. Unbelievers are living under a, the kingdom of, of darkness, and so that's what happens. But the, the devil hates when unbelievers become sons and daughters. So what he would rather do is smash the sons and daughters and, and, and try and get them to live like unbelievers. That's why the church often goes like, you know, I don't understand why I give my life to Jesus and I'm doing all the right things and life got way worse. Look at these guys. This guy's cheating and he's, you know, making shady deals in business and he's thriving. And I'm like, you think the devil gives a, about him? No, he's intimidated by you and what you carry. And so this is what happens. When, this is how we kick the devil's butt. We begin to walk in the purity of the gospel and authority. And then I begin to leak and ooze that onto this oak. And then he gets rocked. And he gets touched by the love of God. And suddenly no more shady deals. And, no more, and then he gets transformed and he reaches somebody else. And now the, the darkness is losing and the kingdom of light is taking ground because it's a people who know who they are that are reproducing disciples who know who they are. As you, yeah. Yes, yay. <laughs> so I think it's a good thing for us to just have a look at where we're standing. Because for me, when, when I felt this demonic stuff coming at me, and I was really annoyed that it touched my body because uh, it has no right to. Remember what I said earlier? So it's a good thing if you start to get a little aggro when the enemy comes at you. I think the church needs to stop cowering and, and shrinking back like victims when the enemy comes with opposition. Are you with me? No, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, uh, I know maybe... I, Sometimes I don't try to be funny, but sometimes the Lord 
I'm being simple and it can be humorous, but it's like to cut to our heart and go, do you get it? It's like we got to get a little bit annoyed with the enemy. Not even a little bit, a lot. That you don't have a right to do that. Certainly not in my life and certainly not in the church. Certainly not in my family. And when you step into that, it's the grace of God that begins to empower you to do what He's called you to do. <clears throat> See, grace, we, we've been preaching the last little while, and grace, it, it, he, the gift of righteousness, it's, it's given to you, it's infused into your life. You are righteous because of His grace, right? When you believe, you come into that place. But I think what we've, we haven't taught strong enough, and I felt this last night when I was praying, is that when you come out from under the law, the law was there to show you your need for grace. The law, the law was given not so that you could achieve it. It was given to show you you never will, that you need a Savior. And then when you get the Savior and you believe in Him, you receive the finished work, you come into grace that empowers you to be a son. But what happens is the church, they, they receive the, the saving part of grace, which is so beautiful and it's, it's so profound. We'll preach it till the day I die. And they go... Thank God for His grace because there's no ways I'm going to reach the standard. But then the problem is they never move from that place. So they begin to live a life of consistently stuck in a cycle of sin, but just grateful that grace kind of helps them get through. And, and the reality is grace works. It just does. So if you stay there, God's grace is sufficient. He loves you, but it's not what God's called you to walk in. See, what, what we haven't preached as strong, and we will as we, as we journey this more and more, is that grace also enables you to choose. See, we weren't able to choose before. Even if you wanted not to sin, you still, you still sinned. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what the law did. When you live under the law, it just exposes that you can't. doesn't matter how much you want to. Romans 7, Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Thanks be to God. Through who? Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is when I'm living under the law, I can't do the things that I want to do. My heart wants to be holy. My heart wants to be righteous. My heart wants to obey God. But I just don't, I, I seem to not do that. And then I do the things that I don't want to do. Sin. So who's going to save me? Oh, thanks be to God. Jesus did. And he's, he's pulled me out of that place. He's put me into grace. But this is the beautiful thing. Grace covers me. It's the safety net. I'll never again be outside of who He is as long as I'm believing. But it also empowers me to choose Him. For the first time in my life, I can choose Him. I can choose righteousness. I can choose who my master is. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now it's my joy. It's not hard. It's like it's natural. Everything inside of me chooses Him. He's my master because there is a Lord. He's not just Savior. He's Lord. But now I get to choose who my master is. Sin is not my master anymore. And here's how it happens. God has disconnected your identity from sin. And, and why we were stuck is sin became Lord because we actually identified ourselves with our failure. We actually we, we connected our identity to sin. And so because of that, we were stuck in this perpetual cycle. And then Jesus comes and goes, I'm just going to rip that apart. Bang. Done. Finished work on the cross. Raised into new life. You are no longer your sin. And then Romans 6 actually talks about its lusts and desires. Not yours. Its. Sin has its own nature and it's not yours. The problem is the church has not realized that they've been empowered to choose who's Lord. So they're still letting that sin nature speak into their life as if it's their identity. And then they're stuck in the tension between these two. And it's why we sometimes don't see transformation. It's why 
Right now in the church, there are people with intimacy on their lips, but sin in their heart, dishonor in their heart. God's heart for us is not to live in that place. God's heart for us is to come into an authentic, true, and pure expression of who He is because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yeah, it's empowering. Grace saves you, but it also empowers you. And what, what happens is sometimes we create, the, we, we create two camps, saving grace and empowering. They're not two separate camps. It's one message. The thing is we have to make sure the church was just so stuck on the saving grace part, we had to preach it till we're blue in the face to make sure you get it. You're saved. If you believe in Jesus, grace has saved you. You are the righteousness of God. Even in your deepest, darkest, most horrific moment, you are still His righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel. But you don't have to stay in that place of struggle. You can come into the victorious life. That's what grace leads you into, a life of victory. When we elevate assignments, spheres of influence, or gifts above the ministry of righteousness, then what happens is we develop a language for Christianity with very little substance and power. And that's, in my opinion, what a perverted prosperity gospel brought. It was a shallow, very wordy Christianity with very little substance and power. Because a whole group of people disqualified themselves from walking in the glory of God because they wouldn't pay a price. Are you with me? Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. How am I doing for time? Hey, still 10 minutes. The guys at breakfast were saying, uh, I should just give you guys a five-minute coffee break and carry on. <clears throat> so here's what I want to, to say to you. We're going to read a scripture now, and, I, and I'll take this in a little bit of a direction here. This morning, I feel like the Lord's just asking me to provoke faith. Just to provoke faith in your heart. Some of you didn't hear me. I'm going to say it again. The Lord asked me this morning to just provoke faith in your heart so that you can be who God's called you to be. Amen. <clears throat> See, I can't, I can't do that for you. I can provoke you, but I, I, can't, I can't say yes for you. That's your, your heart, right? You, that's the joy of being His that we get to choose. So you have to do that. And I want to just challenge you and say, let me, let me just, if I can be so brave, because <laughs> I love you, if I can be so brave as to just speak to your heart this morning and just say, I think it's time that we start to make some very intentional decisions in our lives. Because there are certain disciplines that you put in your life as a believer that just literally become that, that first line of defense that stops the lies from the enemy from taking ground in your life. And let me just give you practical examples. One, time with Him. <laughs> time with Him. Two, Submission to his body. What does that look like? Well, it means I need to make decisions in my life to prioritize what he's doing in his body. You don't understand. I'm so busy and stuff. Well, why are you so busy? Because I get just as busy in ministry and then the Lord says, stop it. I'm just too busy to join a home group. I'm too busy to commit to 
prayer together or to, to commit to coming regularly every week to the, the corporate gatherings. I'm too busy. I'm too busy to serve. I'm too busy to meet anybody. I'm too busy to spend time in the Word. I'm too busy to attend a Bible study. I'm too, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Well, just be, <laughs> this is so, so blunt. Just be careful you're not too busy on the way to hell. And I'm not saying that as a salvation thing. I'm just saying, do you understand that the world is so busy? They're busy on the way to eternal separation from God. So why, why the church should look nothing like that. Because you're not going to hell. So why, why live like you are? You know, most of the world don't even need to go to hell. They're living in it now. But the church shouldn't be like that. And I, I feel it in my, in my spirit as like, you know, I, I don't know why the Lord trust, trusted me with this thing and to do this. And I'm grateful. And I go, Lord, I, it's just you. But as long as he gives you this kind of influence over a room like this, and this is just a small group of people, but this matters to the Lord. And as long as you have this influence, it'd probably be a good thing to make sure that whatever comes from here is truth, even at the risk of offending. Are you with me? I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and not have been direct enough. And then many people who were under my influence stand before Jesus and go, I didn't know. I'd rather you know and be offended with me than not know and get there and be shocked. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm going, hey, I think you need to look at your lives. And I think you need to make some decisions as families. And begin to contend for things and say, okay, God, what matters to you? That's what we have to do as a church because the pressure comes. It's like, man, honestly, we've been on this journey. We have been hunting for a venue because we're not ready to move on to our land. It's not built yet. It will be in Jesus' name, but it's not ready yet. We're on a journey. So we go, this is too packed and cramped. We need more space. We need a new venue. And so we look and we look and we knock on doors. And then we go and, okay, we're going to sign this one. And as we get there, oh, sorry, by the way, uh, it's been sold. What? But we just said we would sign and and then you go, okay, God's closing the door. And then suddenly you stop being so busy trying to get it done, and you come back to His presence, and the Lord says, I'm still teaching you something. I'm teaching you in a little room like this how to carry the treasure of my presence. If you move too quickly from this place, you'll move into a building that's going to be beautiful and stunning, but you won't have the treasure of His presence. So He's like, actually, what you need to do is make sure that you preach the gospel with boldness, with integrity. Not integrity because I can get something right. Integrity because I'm, I'm accountable to the purity of the gospel. And so when we preach the gospel with boldness, something shifts in people's hearts. And this morning, my desire is that something would grab your heart to say, come on, I am alive for such a time as this to be a part of the dream of God, to be saying yes to hosting and, and, and cultivating environments that value His presence. And what breaks my heart is there might even be some of you in this room right now that have no idea what I'm talking about. Because we've lived a watered-down, diluted Christianity that's all about me and my life and things being better. And God's he's moving over the church again and He's saying, Wake up to me, beloved. Let your heart wake up to me that I designed you to be a priest in a kingdom that's eternal. Money's going to come and go. Comfort is going to come and go. In fact, the Christian life is a very uncomfortable one. And we've got to get used to that. 
Do you know what I'm, I'm you know, there's the statement, you can't outgive God. I love that statement. And, and what's so beautiful is I'm, I'm actually walking in that right now. Where the more you go like, Lord, I, 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 I want to just, I want to live light. I want to live free. The more I posture my heart to, to live free and to say, how do we just follow you and not be tied down by things? The more I do that, the more I'm getting blessed. Have you seen my shoes? <laughs> no, I'm just, I want to be honest with you. This year has been the most wild year of my life because I said, Lord, I'm going to abandon myself to you in learning how to do this ministry thing. And I'm just going to abandon myself to you. And every desire of my heart or everything that we need comes like this, where we go, okay, Jess started a new job and she needs to drive to Melrose Arch every day. We had one car. Oh, Lord, I don't know how she needs to take the car. My wife needs to be safe. And do, so I, how do I do what I need to do with ministry? And so 24 hours later, the Lord gives us a car. 24 hours. You know, I love freedom of movement, the, the brand. I just think their clothes and stuff is awesome, right? But it's ridiculously expensive. Like, I need to have a chat with the manager or whatever because it is actually just a joke. But I like it. <laughs> So, you know how many people come to me and go, hey, here, I just want to bless you with some finances specifically for the desires of your heart. And I go like, Lord, I get, to, I get to enjoy things and I enjoy it so much more because I didn't actually earn it myself. Oh, there's a grace principle. I enjoy it so much more because it's not like I actually earned that. I actually abandoned myself to it. Do you, do you catch the principle? It's like, Lord, I actually, I actually let it go. I actually said, my heart doesn't need that. And then God goes, you can have it. Because your heart's mine. And I shift sometimes in and out of that place. But I know when I'm in that place, that's where we're meant to live. Where God can just go, I can trust you. I can just give you stuff. Because I love you. And you're my son. And it's like, do you realize that God loves you? He, he's not going to leave you out on the street. But what he's looking for is your heart. He wants your heart. He wants the heart of the church again. And so he's teaching us, <laughs> two minutes, he's teaching us to host his presence and what it means to carry the treasure of his presence as a church. And grace is what enables us and prepares us to be the bride. It's like, you seem to only preach, uh, most people say this to me, even at the conferences, you preach grace or the bride. It's like, that's what you preach. And then somewhere in there, it's like, go and do signs and wonders. And I'm going like, it's because for me, that's the message of the gospel. It's the grace of Jesus, the gospel of his grace. And that ministered to individuals that come together are being prepared as a bride for his glory that will be with him for all of eternity. It's the gospel. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, you'll see, we'll get there at the end. It talks about this new Jerusalem. And it actually talks about how man is now the dwelling place of God. And there's 12 gates. And then if you study the Old Testament, the priests would wear an ephod. Ephod. They would wear this ephod, and what, what was on their chest was the 12 what you, the stones, 12 stones that represent the 12, 12 tribes. And, uh, and then I studied, and I went, oh, my goodness. It's a picture of the New Jerusalem, and it's on their chests. We're going to unpack this in our Bible study, but think about this for a second in light of the scripture I'm about to read. In the Old Testament, God is teaching man about covenant and about presence. Tabernacle. 
And what he does is he just, in all of this, he's using symbols to teach us what's coming. It's why David, <laughs> this blows my mind, David reached 800 years ahead into the reality of what Jesus was going to bring, and he brought it into the now, and he lived under grace when law was... Do you see that? 800 years, plus minus. David reached into a covenant of grace and pulled it into his now because he began to see that God's dream is actually not for us to live under the law. God's dream is for us to... So think about this. When he, when he restores, when he brings the Ark of the Covenant, why did he not put it back in Jerusalem uh, the way that it was before in the temple? Why did he put it on Mount Zion? And why did he put it in a tent? And why did he invite all of Israel to come and, and behold God? Because technically, according to the law, they should have all died. Which they did, some before that. Uzzah even just touched the thing and died. So can you imagine? Israel knows that Uzzah touched it and he, and he died. And now David's put it in a tent, opened up the sides and said, let's all come and behold the Holy of Holies. What did David see? He's going, hey, the law is real and, and, and you can live under this here, but I'm seeing something of the heart of God. Uh, Psalm 63 talks about it. I think it's Psalm 63, but where David beholds God in the sanctuary. What is he beholding? He's seeing something of the dream of God, and he's calling it into the now, and he's going, I don't, I'm, maybe I'm not able to live in the fullness of that, but I know that's your heart for me. So I'm going to open it up and say, come on, Israel, come and worship Jesus. Come behold him. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to establish worship and intercession and ex exaltation of Jesus, of the Lord, 24-7, 365 for 33 years. And, and so we see this. David accesses that, but the priests wear this thing, ephod, that has the symbol of something that God's going to do. And then you see the new Jerusalem, 12 stones, 12 tribes, 12 gates. And the symbol that the priests wore was on their chest. And then Revelation says that we are the new Jerusalem, that God's dwelling place is man. See, because either that, or if you want to just take it literally, we're going to live in a cube square where the streets all go, to, and we don't know where it goes, and we're all going to be stuck in this cube for all of eternity. Come on. It's a picture of something. You get it? So how beautiful is God that way back then, He put it on their chests just to remind them, just to show them what's coming is that I'm going to be in you. And I've called you to be priests that carry the glory of God. Where? On your chest, in your heart, in you, upon you. That's what God's invited us to. So now, Ephesians 2, that's what God's building. Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now I want to read it out of the Passion really quick. Listen to this. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones, with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets, and best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision 
until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord Himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the Holy of Holies. His dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Your yes to Jesus, your partnership, your personal yes to the Holy Spirit, yielding to Him so that He can do His work in you, is preparing in your heart a dwelling place for God, so that when you come together, we are being built together into a dwelling place for Him, where His glory will rest upon us for all of eternity. We will be the temple. We are, but we're also becoming the temple of the Lord. You get me? So stewarding your heart is vital. And God didn't create you to live off of the understanding and the knowledge from somebody else, but rather, see, here's the thing. Let me say it like this. Teaching invites, but only the presence of the Lord transforms. What, what's happening right now, I'm teaching something, I'm releasing something, it's an invitation to your heart, but it's only His presence that transforms. <clears throat> you don't want to have His presence on your lips and slander in your heart. You don't want to have that. You know, someone once said this, if you're fasting and you're gossiping, go ahead and eat. Why am I saying that? I'm just saying, do you see how important, like God, He wants your heart not your external attempt to prove something. Let that one sit. One more thing I just want to touch on, and then I'll quickly pull it together and we're done. Three minutes. Um, you know, familiarity, and familiarity, it's, a, it's, a, it's when you become so familiar with something, that you become so casual that you don't even know how to receive from that anymore. You're so used to it being in the room that you don't even recognize change or if it's moved. or It's just you're so familiar with that space. Familiarity with the presence of the Lord, familiarity with the anointing, familiarity with leaders stops you from receiving. It does. It stops you from receiving. And so my heart, I, I come before the Lord and I go, Lord, I don't... I, Shake off every bit of familiarity in my heart. Because let me just say this. If you're familiar with me, you might not be able to receive from me. But it doesn't stop me. It just stops you. Maybe you're going like, why are you saying this? I think I'm just hitting something in the Spirit. And we're a prophetic people. So sometimes we've got to get used to hearing things from the pulpit that doesn't make sense to my now, but it's just there's things that God's breaking in the Spirit. And I know He's doing that right now. Um, I'm learning when you're immersed in Jesus and you stand in Him, there are things that He does in you that's for right now in front of you. And He's also smashing things in the spiritual realm because we're breaking ground. So like there's, a, there's this spirit of intimidation that's trying to... Uh, <laughs> so, so silly spirit of intimidation that's trying to control, trying to manipulate, trying to have a voice in 24-7. And the Lord sits and laughs. Because it's His church. It's His body. 
You know, how do you know if you're partnering with the spirit that's not of Jesus? Just have a look at your life and see, are you slotted in to build something that's his? Or are you looking for something that the church can open up for you to build your thing? <clears throat> so many people have willing hearts, but they're, they're, they're willingly divisive. <laughs> and I say, like, whoa, why are you using words like this? Let me just explain it to you. You can be willing and available, but the reality is, if you're not locked into the vision of what God's doing in that house, then you're trying to do your own thing, trying to build your own thing, and it's on your terms. It's your, your own T's and C's. I set the T's and C's for how this is going to work, and if you don't welcome me in with my thing, then I'm offended and I'm leaving. And I want to say to you, I love you so much, but if, if that's where your heart is postured, you're welcome to leave. And that's not because I don't love you. It's because I love you. It's because it won't be good for you to serve in a house like this if your heart is disconnected from the vision of God in this house. And let me tell you what that looks like. It looks like honor. And I want to say this, Holy Spirit likes honor. He likes it. <laughs> he likes it more than right and wrong. I've said this many times and I will say it again. Until the day I die, I'll preach this. God's not so concerned with whether you think you're right. He's concerned with where your heart's postured to honor those that he's put in place to do certain things. There are many things, in I've only been leading as a visionary expression in this house. I've only been doing it for eight months, and I promise you it's been the wildest eight months of like, how do you do this? I just run, I'm so glad my parents are here because I just run. I'm like, I tried this, it failed. I don't know how to do this. Uh, and they're so beautiful because 17, well, even longer, 30 years of ministry. And, and if there's one thing I've learned, it's just to stay steadfast in the voice of the Lord. But what I love is as, as I've been learning these last um, eight months, it's bringing me back to this place of it's not so much about whether you think you're getting it right or wrong. It's not so much about your opinion. It really isn't. It's about honor. See, honor doesn't get to choose who it submits to. Again, maybe you're going like, I don't know if this is for me, and that's okay. It's for somebody. And it's hitting something in the spirit. God's bringing freedom. I, for years, I learned under my own parents. People go like, oh, it's so nice. They're your biological parents. Let me tell you, it's the total opposite. <laughs> I love my parents to bits, but when they're your parents, your pastors, your teachers, your mentors, your, all in one, that's an interesting place. And your boss, you know. <laughs> that's an interesting place to, to journey. And there were many times where we were in disagreement. And I had many opportunities to be an orphan. I had many opportunities to choose my opinion over submission. And when I chose to submit, I promise you, it was hard. Even my dad, my dad I knew he knew. <laughs> and yet he was consistent as a father like the father is to us. Consistent to love. But you must choose orphan or son. And when you choose sonship, you choose honor above being right. And the reality is you find out later you weren't right in the first place. Because God's wisdom is just so far above our own opinions. So I'm, I'm hitting something here. I'm going, listen, I don't know why, but this is just the Lord. Is this okay? Just, just receive it. If it's not for you, it's okay. But if it hits your heart, let it, let it hit your heart. Gossip and slander is not okay in the church. No, hear me. It's not okay. I'll tell you why. Because we don't regard each other according to the flesh. We regard each other according to Christ. This is why I say it's dangerous. You know, I was thinking about this. I said, Lord, help me understand how to communicate this. And 
And the Lord actually said, you know what happens when you have uh, intimacy on your lips and dishonor in your heart? It's adultery. <clears throat> it's adultery. Because it's like saying, come home and kiss your wife while you're having an affair. Your heart is having an affair, but your mouth confesses that things are good. And I'm not saying this, he, God's, God's grace covers this stuff. It's not, I'm not saying it to highlight the mistake. I'm saying it to make sure that in our hearts we don't settle for being okay with staying in a place where my heart is dishonoring, but I feel the need to keep this thing on my lips of like, no, everything's good. And it's just, Int people who walk in intimacy with Jesus don't have to say much because there's a substance and a reality in their heart. You know, the Lord said to me, um, he spoke to me out of Jeremiah 1, and he, he, I knew that I would be called to do this, that sometimes I, when I speak, I know that I'm uprooting stuff. Sometimes I'm destroying stuff, and other times I'm planting, I'm watering, I'm building. And I can feel that in the room. I can feel the Lord doing that. And, and I'm having, I'm just being honest with you, I'm having to learn to be okay with that. Because like I can hit things like this, and I know I'm hitting stuff. I can feel it in the spirit. I know I'm, I'm hitting things in the, spirit, in the spirit realm, things in your heart. And, and I have to like allow myself to rest in Jesus and say that, that the Lord's doing this. He does this to my own heart. Last night, I'm weeping before the Lord, repenting, going, God, I'm so sorry that I've been trying to please people. Because when I try to please people, I stop living to please you. And the Lord delivered me from that last night. But, you know, you can be delivered from that, but then you must choose to walk in it and to live in it. So I'm saying, there are, there, I know, I'm just being real, I know that there are some of you that are living in that tension. Dishonor in your heart, intimacy on your lips, and I'm telling you, it's a good place to stop, to get real with the Holy Spirit, to allow His grace and His mercy to rinse and wash and cleanse your heart of every emotion and lie that you felt. And then to rise up in your sonship as a daughter, son and daughter, and to say, Jesus, thank you for your grace that empowers me to be a son and daughter in the house. Thank you that I can choose honor. Thank you that I can love. Thank you that I can serve. Thank you that and when your heart shifts into that place, the Lord brings you back into that momentum of His Spirit and freedom begins to flow. I'm not highlighting these things to, to highlight maybe what's wrong. I'm highlighting them to say His mercy and His grace wants to get us out of that. God made a covenant with people that we can't break. The covenant God made with you, you can't break that one. He cut it with Himself. When I say cut covenant, I mean He made covenant with us but the way he did it was he made it with his son and then he brought us into his son so that even when we break it it doesn't break even when we dishonor that thing it doesn't change the covenant we can come back and so it's like for some of us we need to just return in our hearts and go lord thank you i can return to the covenant of grace where i'm transformed if you're if you're living your lives as a family external to the local church and you will know exactly what i'm talking about in other words, if the, if, if the extent of your church life is Sunday attendance, then let this hit your heart today because you weren't just created to attend on a Sunday. You are created as a part of the body, joint in, joint in to be a dwelling place. And I'm not saying, I'm not asking, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, you need to be at Thursday night, you need to be at Friday morning, Friday lunchtime, Friday night and Sunday morning. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you'll know in your heart if the extent of your connection to the community, the family of God is a Sunday, then something's wrong. But if you know that these are my people, these are the people that I love, that I do life with, these are the people that I'm journeying with and I'm growing with, these are the people that I love God with, something happens in your heart and there'll be fruit, there'll be an expression. Do you hear what I'm saying?
So today, I, I knew it was going to come out a little weird. I knew it was going to come out a little bit prophetic, and, and it might seem like I've hit a couple different things, and that's okay. But I felt that there's an apostolic and a prophetic anointing today to hit the foundations of the ground, to hit the, 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 the soil of the community and say, be healthy in Jesus' name. <laughs> be, be, be rooted and grounded and established in the love of God, in the grace of God, so that we can be everything that God's called us to be. Repentance doesn't look like just remorse. What I'm hitting today, I'm not saying, hey, go say you're sorry. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. It's probably a good thing to do if you need to. But what I'm hitting today is I'm saying there's a joy that comes when we learn how to continually return. And when we always keep returning to that place of truth, to that place of grace, to that place of His righteousness in us, it will bring transformation. See, God wants us to burn and He wants us to run. But not just a sprint. He wants us to run with longevity, with sustainability, with consistency from glory to glory. If you're a scattered stone out in the field, it's time to get plugged into the body, into the building. Let Him place you into that building as a living stone. God loves His church. He loves His people. He loves this house. And he's doing something so beautiful. He's doing something so incredible. And your life is a part of that. And what I mean is, see, we're not a cause that I'm asking you to, to suffer for. That's not what I'm saying. Though there is suffering in, in the kingdom. But what I'm, what I'm asking for is I'm saying, do you see that your life is an active part of the body? That, that the body is supplied with? That contributes and brings an expression of God? that's unique to your life, that when all of that happens together in a corporate setting, we begin to see the fullness of God manifested to one another. I begin to see Jesus in a new way. I see it through you. There's like a twofold thing happening this morning. One, 24-7, I don't know what, what he's doing. I'm just it's like seeing a bunch of stuff, but I just see that he's setting 24-7 free of some stuff, but he's also setting me free of some stuff. I, I feel great right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do too, but I'm like, I love Jesus so much. We get to do this. We get to do this.